Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Empire, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 135, Organs and Stock with Poldy Wheeland. On this episode of Huntivore, the time-old topic of what are you going to keep from the gut pile comes up. Nick employs the help of Poldy Wielden, a traditional foodie, homesteader, and host of the Year of Plenty podcast. Poldy gives some points on why adding organ meat into our everyday diet is worthwhile. In addition, the guys open up to about bone stock, and it uses more than just soups and stews. So get ready to dig a little deeper, and maybe keep a little extra something from this episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks, beautiful evening here in Michigan. Hey, I tell you what, it is raining outside right now. If you happen to be out uh, the 19th of October uh, out hunting, you are far more diehard than I am. It is getting to the point now where, yeah, I'm a little bit sick of the rain. I'm ready for things to dry back out. I'm ready to be able to get out and chase after deer again. Um, I've kind of been living the high life off of uh, getting my buck early, getting through the processing of, of that buck. I'm left with the hindquarters. Um, I thought I'd be a little bit further along than what I am now. I mean, we're now at day 10 of, uh, of it needing to get into the, into the freezer. However, we've been, we've been using the fridge um, to be able to keep those temperatures consistent. So it's just the two hindquarters that are left. Um, but I'm also training up the boys in their knife skills. So everything has gone from a, a fast, easy process to a long, drawn-out, need-to-redo process. Uh, we went through the phrase of, if you don't want to get bloody, cut toward a buddy. And the whole idea of being able to cut away from yourself, that was a good lesson. Uh, we also learned how to hand knives over to people, that we were setting the blade down, uh, grabbing the handle and reversing the way that it is so that at that point they're not pointing blades at people, they're actually pointing the handle. So that was that was night one for those, uh, those little guys. They had a fun piece with each of them got a rib or uh, a piece of neck, and they turned uh, those cuts into basically burger as is, but they were got a chance to work on bone. They got a chance to work on uh, some tissue. So yeah, they've come they've come far and wide uh, from where they were off earlier in the year. Um, but yeah, that's neither here nor there. We're uh, tonight. We're going to be exploring a little bit more 
um, in depth of both our venison and just a lot of the critters that we end up harvesting right here at the fall time. And I have gotten a hold of Poldy Wheeland. He is the podcast host of the Year of Plenty podcast. Uh, he hails from, at least right now, he hails from Montana. Poldy, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Uh, what's it like over in the great state of Montana right now? Is it uh, is it rainy like it is here in Michigan, or have you got some uh, some better temps going on over there? How's it going, Nick? First of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Super pumped to be here. Um, yeah, like you, you said that right. I'm in Montana right now. It's uh, interesting weather. We have we've had a really wet year. I've only been here for three years now. This is definitely the wettest I've experienced it. Um, right now, we haven't had too much rain, but it's definitely dipping down into those colder temperatures. Next week, we're supposed to get snow, uh, which I think is somewhat late for this area. And sometimes uh, the first year I was here, I remember we had snow in September. So it's it's getting there. I wish we had a bit more of the, the more of a fall and a bit warmer weathers for a bit longer. But I'm also excited for what the winter season has to bring. Excellent. Yeah, it's kind of a harsh transition. The higher altitude that you get, it goes from one thing to the next very, very quickly. I had a chance to come out uh, to Montana last year. Uh, we went on an archery elk hunt, and it turned into... Nice. Yes, it turned into a viewing of elk. I had a very close experience with a spike elk, uh, single-digit yards, five to six yards. He walked past me. Um, we couldn't take him with archery archery equipment that early, so I had Bummer. to let him walk. Oh, my goodness. I, I was itching. I wanted to take him right then and there. But cool experience to have him walk by me. I had a friend uh, take a shot at one, um, hit shoulder, I don't care what kind of arrow you got set up. It it bounced right off his shoulder. We followed a little bit of blood for a while, but it uh, it wasn't meant to be. But we were in them. We felt uh, we felt accomplished for our first trip out there. But yeah, the ups and downs. Oh my goodness! Being a flatlander here in Michigan, it was a it was a stark reality to know that everything goes up and down, and there's no flat ground. I found myself kicking dirt trying to make a, just a little spot where I could stand with both feet flat. I definitely missed flat ground <laughs> after about three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes a while to get used to. And the weather changes are insane too, especially in the mountains. Like my girlfriend, she always tells me that like, if you're in Montana and the weather turns bad, wait five minutes and it's going to change. And that's usually the case. Now, you didn't grow up here in the States or even in uh, in Montana. You grew up in Germany. You said you've been here now three, three right. seasons, three years. Um, talk a little bit about... In Montana. Oh, three years in here in Montana. How long have you been in the yeah. States, and when did you make the, make the move over from uh, uh, the old world? First move was 2007, actually, when I was 12, to Wisconsin, Oconomowoc area in Wisconsin, and uh, did up to high school there and then I went back to Germany for almost four years, um, which was a great experience. And that's where I really got into hunting. And then from there back to Wisconsin, did college. And then I knew I had to come out to Montana. So um, that's why I ended up here. Gotcha. Oh, so yeah, a great Laker. You've been able to enjoy our, our great lakes, Lake Michigan being oh, yeah. right there neighboring to you. Smelting. Yes. You got the, the big smelting. smelt fishery over there. Excellent. Excellent. 
Um, yeah, let's take a, let's take a quick tangent as we go over to back home to Germany. You said you got that's where you really got um, deep into hunting. And I understand systems are a lot different. We don't necessarily need to go into into all those systems. But um, what was your experience like in Germany going on the hunt? Was it big game, small game? I, I from my understanding that like boar is a very popular thing over in Germany, along with stag. Really, really fun stuff to chase. What were what were you chasing? Yeah, so I was, I grew up in the south, southern part of Germany. Um, very good hunting culture there, I would say. It's uh, just to back up real quick in Germany, it's not like here where you can just easily take your hunter safety and go hunting uh, with a family member or whatnot. You got to go through like an extensive course and you got to be at least 16. I ideally 18 once you're 18 you don't need a mentor if you do it when you're 16 you still need a mentor every time you hunt until you're 18 but um yeah going on hunts there it's it's very different it's a a lot more traditional i would say the hunter over there is much more a mix of outdoorsmen and wildlife biologists i would say so during the course, you know, you're learning about wildlife biology, you're learning about the ecosystem, the trees. Um, there's just a book on mammals, a book on feathered wild game. So it's really extensive. And a big part of that also is ethics and traditions. So going on hunts over there is usually ambush hunting from a tree stand. We tend to build our own like stationary tree stands out of wood that we get from the woods there. And I was lucky enough during my hunting course to be able to help build some tree stands. They're usually like one or two person tree stands and not like the ladder stands you see here, but, you know, nice, big, big stands to really sit in and you're pretty protected in there. And um, usually what I would be hunting over there is roe deer and boar and uh, fox. Those are usually the three species we were going after. Uh, The way the system is set up, there's usually someone who leases land and then has other hunters help cooperate with them, help manage the land, and in return they get to hunt. So my dad was kind of the one. My dad still lives in Germany, and he's he's the one who got me into hunting, but he's the one owning, leasing the land. So he was kind of, you know, calling the shots on what you could hunt mm. and uh, and during what time of the year. So it's not quite like here where you get your tag and you can just choose – to, to go out during a season. You have a much longer season in Germany. We can hunt roe deer bucks from, I think it's January 31st until, um, or May May 1st until January 30, 31st. So oh my goodness. It's a long season, but the way it works is you're leasing land as a hunter over there for at least six to nine years. So you're incentivized to not just kill everything on the land you lease because you're going to be paying for a long time for it. You know, it's, it's quite complicated, the system over there, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of ambush hunting. And then the other thing I would, we would do a lot is drive hunts. Mm-hmm. And these are really, really traditional. And usually around the winter months, most of them happen in January, I would say, just cause it's easier to shoot. There's less ground cover. Um, there's, you know, the, the fawns are usually old enough in case the, they're separated from their mom or if the mom is shot by a, by a hunter or whatnot. And 
these drive hunts are cool the way my dad would do them. We'd have like 50 hunters come and he would put out a, a ad in the paper for volunteers. And then the whole town would come like a ton of people from the town and you have your beaters. That's what they call them who basically push through the, the woods with just a stick. And then the hunters get positioned all around the, the land. And there's a strategy that you plan beforehand and how the beaters are going to walk so that they push the animals towards the hunters. But on those hunts, it was usually, again, boar, um, roe deer, and then the fox. We don't, where I'm at in Germany, we don't have stags, really. And they, they've really been trying not to hunt as much small game, especially like rabbits, because um, in the like 90s, similar to what was happening here, farmers were basically going from small fields with a lot of hedge cover to big fields that they can industrially you know, work on and they got rid of all the ground cover. So all the ground nesting birds and rabbits, they really took a hit. And uh, my dad has a hard rule of, you know, one rabbit a year, basically. So um, we're kind of limited in what we could hunt, but a longer season there at least. Yes. Yes. That's very interesting, both with the, the, the limiting on, on small game to say like, we don't want to lose this. We, we messed up with, with some of our farming practices, and we want to make sure that we keep that that seed population down. That's very interesting. Um, the second thing, too, is, like, I the idea of, like, traditions. Um, you said that, that hunting was very traditional over there. I come from uh, an agricultural family. We, we have a small farm. Uh, it's a poultry farm. My brother actually has bought it, and he's running that farm, and... But but through that we we didn't do a whole lot with hunting. Hunting wasn't a huge part of 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 us as a family, and here I am, kind of like the first generation from that family, jumping out and and doing the hunt. So I I essentially I guess I'm writing my own traditions book. So when I hear of these other traditional hunts and how things are run, I've I've seen images of or at least like um, even video clips from Germany where. Uh, like you said, like getting the beaters together and it's like almost like a, it's almost like a celebration. There's horns, there's, there, there's bands and then they go and they do their, their push and the hunt and then it all gets brought up and they line them all in front of the camera and it's like, it's the beaters and the hunters together. It was a great big, a social event. Um, it is. And I just think that's a really, it's a really neat thing. I think it still happens here at least in, in Michigan, we still have our deer camps um, where guys get together and and spend a week up in a cabin, and there's a lot of social aspect that goes with that. And then even um, drives are done. I, I know there's a lot of people here in the States that kind of you know poo-poo the idea of drives, but there are still a lot of pockets of people that they will drive a farm or they will – end up picking out a field that is that hasn't been picked yet and they'll they'll have their beaters or their walkers that will go through and then on the position down the other side are the are the folks there and that really is it's a social event that people have a great time do it's not just i mean yeah it's the pursuit of of an animal at that point but it's like we got a job to do we have to we have to get the year's harvest at least from the venison and this is how we're going to do it so that's really yeah Especially like every hunter leases land will usually set for himself, like how many animals he wants to take and whatnot. And at the end of the year, having a drive hunt like that is a efficient way to really, you know, make those numbers. And a big part of it is also the boar, the wild boar over there. They cause a ton of damage similar to what 
is happening in Texas and some Southern states and they're really hard to hunt, you know, and, uh, our drive hunt can be super effective for those and having it be like a whole community thing is cool because you're showing non hunters the value of it and bringing them into the community. And the way my dad would always do it after the whole hunting day, everyone would go to like, he would rent a big restaurant or like a big hall and have food catered and usually the the beaters will eat for free when i was a kid way in the day the hunters would pass around a hunting hat and everyone would put five to twenty bucks in there and that would be split amongst the beaters it's it is a really cool social event and how you said you know there's hunting horns especially at the drive hunts they all have different signals and this goes back way back to medieval times i mean they have a a signal for every animal that gets killed like the species oh wow um there's a different sound and then there's even the sound to go to to go to the restaurant you know <laughs> at the last one is like now we go to to eat basically and uh it's it's quite something i i like that those traditions a lot you know an outsider might think it's cheesy and like it looks like you know someone's like larping or something like that it's like look at these nerds but uh we are nerds and and we enjoy it and it's it, it makes it an experience you won't forget you know Absolutely. Yeah. As I'm, as I'm writing my own hunting traditions, I'm, I'm picking and choosing things that are, that are important to me. And so like when I see communities come together like that and yeah, like, yeah, cheesy and whatever, but at the same time, there's so much deeper meaning behind all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. in fact, I think the one that I, I, I truly do really appreciate, I think, well, I think it could, it's probably been all over the place. The idea of the last meal, um, yep. you guys are putting in, it's a sprig of spruce is that you guys are putting in, or was it something specific it, you, that Germany usually, was doing? Usually something, it's kind of whatever area, like the animal browses a lot on. So for us, it was often a lot of spruce usually. Um, but really anything counts that the animal likes to browse on. Yeah. That, that whole idea has been has been really fun because yeah the boys every time that we do go track a deer they're like why are you putting that in his mouth and it's like well we have to you know say thank you we need to let this animal know that we we appreciate all it's given and it gets to eat first before we get to eat it and of course they raise an eyebrow at me like what are you talking about it'll make sense when you're older okay don't worry about it right now yeah <laughs> when I did it the first time here on a, a private land I was invited on they the a landowner thought I was doing some sort of witchcraft. No. Like, oh, man. <laughs> no, <laughs> just it's giving just, it its last, the last respect. You yes. Know? Symbology. Okay. It's not, yeah, it's not going to all of a sudden stand up and, and start running, or excuse me, symbolism. It's not going to just start running around and, and doing something else. Well, sweet. Well, how's your season gone so far, Polly? Have you got a chance to go out and pursue anything? Again, I mean, multiple things are opening up all over here in the fall, and, I'm, you know, Montana's no different. Um, what have you been chasing after uh, this fall so, thus far? Yeah, so I never got back to one of the first questions you asked. It's like, what brought me to Montana? Well, a big part of that was really the ability to live, like, a true wild food lifestyle and also – be able to bring home enough food for myself and my loved ones and whatnot. And I see a lot of value in meat. It's, I think out of all the wild food acquisition practices, hunting is the one that's going to give you the most calories, the most value. 
Um, so Montana, there's so much I can hunt, right? I bought the sportsman's license with bear out here. That's what it's called. It includes a general elk tag. So either sex elk, either sex mule or whitetail deer, um, the, the upland bird license and fishing license. And it has all your conservation license and stuff all in there. And it's just a good overall thing to get. And now I have all these opportunities while I'm out in the field and all these different seasons to, to really utilize because, you know, I, I always say I'm a kitchen hunter, like I hunt for food. That's why I hunt. And I try to really maximize what I can shoot out there. So this year so far, I, I went pretty hard on archery elk at the beginning of the season started on September 3rd and had three really close encounters with bulls, you know, 40 to 60 yards. I never could get a, shot off and didn't take him and uh yeah bummer but man it's just it's just so cool to be able to get that close to an animal like that the last hunt that was almost successful me and my girlfriend we were in an elk herd for the whole day basically we saw him at 7 a.m and started calling and the elk the bull didn't care at all about our calls he did like a few bugles rounded up his cows and went into the drainage and we chased after them, found him again, and then just tried to sneak in and get as close as possible to get a shot off. And that translated to us being literally with the herd 150, 200 yards away for many hours. We're just moving with them. And then they would go up beyond another finger and we catch up to them again. And at the end of the day, we had a, I had him at 70 yards, full draw. And um, my girlfriend, had, she's really new to it and she's, called a bit too early and then he was aware of us and he just didn't want to make that last 20 30 yards that i needed to get a good shot off but um after elk hunting i decided you know i i'd been doing a lot of mountains and whatnot so i went after some whitetails here with my bow which in montana they're usually congregated in the river bottoms which that's very similar terrain what you would have in michigan wisconsin and they love that stuff so Went out with my brother, and on that day, we just went underground, no tree stand, no saddle, nothing. Just moved with the wind. He positioned in one little meadow in a, in a forest opening next to the river, and I had another. And half an hour later, I had a whitetail spike come out right in front of me. And um, I saw another bush rattling there. And uh, I decided there, you know, I'm going to put him in my freezer if I have to use my general tag, whatever. I I want that meat. And also just the idea of hunting a whitetail from the ground, you know, is kind of cool with the bow. It wasn't my best hunting experience. I actually took me three shots um, to, to get that buck down. I had him at 20. Somehow I missed. I was shooting for my knees, which I'd never done before. So I, I missed him at 20. Then he came back for whatever reason. And I'm like just sitting there on my knees. I didn't have much cover at all. I had face paint on. Came back at 30. I shot right over his back again. And then at, at 40, I nailed him. But yeah, I don't know why why I was missing. I'm happy I didn't like, you know, after the first shot, like jump up and look around. Like I just stayed really calm. And I was like, maybe he'll come back. And this guy, he kept coming back. And he's like, kept looking at me. So, you know, put him in my freezer. That was really good. It wasn't my best, like I said, my best shooting. But uh, then last weekend, I 
went on my first uh, antelope hunt of the season with the rifle because that starts a bit earlier and uh, found some antelope like two miles away with my spotting scope and moved in. It was very flat land, so super hard to make a stalk, but there were a few drainages that I could work with. And I, I moved through these drainages and ended up getting sub under 100 yards. But again, there was no cover, so I, did, I couldn't even range find. I just knew I was within like 100 yards and uh, shot one of the does there. I only had a doe tag and she dropped right there. So also have her in my freezer now. So, so far it's going good. Yes. That's a great start. That's a great start. Um, yeah. You know what? I think there's a different pressure. Like you just said with like being a, a kitchen hunter, being at mm-hmm. myself, a meat hunter, there is a, there's this nagging feeling of there's empty space in the freezer. We need to eat. We need to eat. And it does make, you know, and there's a contrast. I, a lot of the guys that I hang out with or at least um, end up associating with, you know, they're after, they're after, they're after antlers. They're after bone. They want to, you know, they want these very impressive animals and they're, they're okay with letting animals pass. They're okay with letting animals walk. And to a certain extent, I'm, I think I'm maturing a little bit that I can, I can let animals walk by knowing that there will be other opportunities. But at the same time, there is that, <laughs> that, that voice in the back of my head that just says, burgers getting low, you need to attend to that. And so taking that spike, he gave you three shots. Well, hey, I'm glad the third shot <laughs> worked on yeah. that. That's archery hunting. I tell you, that's archery hunting. You can think things are, you know, uh, in the bucket. Things are going to be ready to go. It's going to be 100% dead and done, and that can be not the case. You know, it could yep. be a equipment malfunction. It could be, you know, you've not shot from your knees, and here you are trying to make a new approach. My The buck that I got early on here in October, my I was relying on my pin lights, in this area that I was at, it was up against, I had these open areas that would be bright with, with sunlight and just with, with ambient light. And then there would be pockets of real dark, uh, covered up by oak leaves and having those pin lights to be able to look into the dark areas. You, you do need those and shoot. I let those batteries go out and it was my own failure. Mm -hmm. So I had to adapt. I had to take risk that normally I don't, I don't like to take, but given that opportunity, it was like, it's it's either now or he he walks away. I got to figure out what right. I'm going to do with that, and so that's where, yeah. If I wanted to fill that freezer, I had to make that risk. So that was a great buck too. Oh yeah, Congrats. I uh, I had a chance to go. I went back to the taxidermist. He was he'd already flushed it out, so I got the I at least have the antlers. They're out in the garage right now, but I have the antlers to go show off to to friends that are around so they can they can see it because they were already like oh you took him in already i didn't get a chance to see the rack like all right well we'll we'll go get it but no it's been fun to be able to break him down with the boys um i did have i was going to work on some different rib cuts i wanted to make some and, and use the brisket but it got it got left out to the training of the boys. I, I finally just was like, all right, I, I'll worry on the dough next time that I'm working on. But, yeah, they ended up shredding up that brisket. Brisket is a on either on like on a whitetail elk. I know it's a really nice big piece. Um, but what I like to do with the, the brisket off a whitetail is uh, I make a steak frites, and I really like how if you get it a super fast sear, um, even though it's a really hard-worked muscle, it's thin enough that you just – I. I'll actually take the grate off and throw it directly on the coals 
And so I'll get a sear for like 30 seconds that side, flip it over, sear on the other side, let it rest. And then you do, you just slice it real thin into ribbons. You know, you make yourself like, you know, quarter inch slices at that point. You spread that over some, some fried potatoes. And I, man, that is just, that's one of those meals that I'm like, if this was my last meal, I'd be okay with that. And that's after a cut that usually goes right to the grind pile. So I do like to save, save that little bit. Yeah, man, I need to, I was watching your video a bit on the breakdown. I need to, I've never taken like the brisket off. Um, I mean, I, I take it all, but I put it all on the grind, but I've never tried to get like one, one piece off. And also I saw you were doing stuff with like neck fillets. Usually the neck, I just try to get as much off as I can, not paying attention to what cut it is. And uh, the flat iron, I think you did in that video too. That's something I need to explore more and it's, it's exciting. That, that'll come down the road for sure. Absolutely. When you smoke a big old elk, that those flat irons will be like porterhouses. Those will be big. Um, I've I've got my I've you know got my teeth wet or excuse me got my got my experience on smaller deer, and so making the flat irons after a while, you're like, man, that's like a just a little morsel. It's a little hard to do, but with this buck, I was able to take off a full on. Uh, flat iron steak it makes it worthwhile for a dinner or at least even like eggs and steak in the morning but yeah i'm glad you enjoyed that one of the reasons i really wanted to to find you and get a hold of you is um you've been really pushing for the idea of organ meat and being able to add organ meat into into your diet not just on like a one-time occasion but trying to put this into an everyday thing um, I've been, I think, semi-successful with, with trying to help folks say like, Hey, you know what? Try to keep at least one thing that you normally haven't. And like that first step for hunters, a lot of times is, you know what? Keep the heart. There's a, there's a lot of, again, symbolism with, with that eating the heart, but at the same time, it is an easy transition from meat to organ i mean essentially is meat but it does have a different look a different texture away from like a backstrap but it's also gentle enough of a transition that the guys are willing to eat heart and i know you just recently had a big old uh podcast episode on the benefits of having organs yeah what what did you basically culminate from that if you were to boil down that episode into a few few statements what would that be well, the big thing, like the way I titled it was, was like organs, nature's forgotten superfoods. And they really are the superfood, not like a lot of, or unlike a lot of these plant superfoods that you're seeing being sold at the grocery store for for a lot of money. And that's because the organ meats of everything in the animal, they have the most nutrients and also the most bioavailable nutrients. So what do I mean by bioavailable? means they're really high quality. Your body, they come in a form that your body can absorb and process and utilize really easily. Unlike a lot of plants. So a lot of plant nutrients and plants, for example, and vegetables, yeah, they're high in them, but they come in a form that your body first has to basically process and convert into something usable. Like a good example is heme iron versus iron. In meat and organs, you get the heme iron that's easy for a body to use right away. The non-heme iron first needs to go through an energetic process, like a process that requires energy 
to really be converted. And then, you know, the levels of conversion aren't the best either. And uh, often you, you'd really have to eat a lot more plants, like a, way more than you probably would want to eat to get the same amount of nutrients from meat and especially organ meats. What's nice about the organ meats is that they're not just have, they don't only have a variety of nutrients and minerals um, and a lot of them are, are in high quality them, but also a lot of them. So you really just need a little bit to, to get the benefits from them. And each organ meat has, you know, its own superstars in terms of nutrients. Some even have vitamin C, you know, you always hear like you got to drink lemon juice or orange juice for your vitamin C, but you can get it from animal foods as well. So really the, the nutrient quality and the quantity in those organs is what gets me to do it. And then why I like it over supplements is because it comes in the whole food matrix. So in science, they call it the whole food matrix. We haven't even explored it to its fullest, fullest extent yet, but basically a whole food comes with all these nutrients and cofactors and enzymes that a supplement doesn't have. And these synergize together. So they impact your body in positive ways. And like I said, we haven't like nutrition science still fully doesn't understand how it all works. And it's kind of interesting. If you look up nutritional dark matter, you'll find stuff on that. It's kind of cool how they, that's how they call it nutritional dark matter. And then, you know, why should you really eat them beyond that? I mean, as a hunter, you probably, you know, you're already out there hunting for meat, hopefully. I mean, everyone to everyone their own, but if you're hunting for meat, why would you leave several pounds of the most nutrient dense part of the animal in the woods? Right. And then also if you have any, like, I mean, a lot of us hunt, I think because of that ancestral connection, that's a big part for, at least for me, kind of like live more how our ancestors have lived for millions of years and hunting is a big part of that. And all of our fellow hunters, a lot of them throughout history, you know, throughout the ages, have prized the organs, even the predators. I mean, if you look at predatory animals, if they kill an animal, they'll often go for the um, the organs first. And there was actually in my in my blog and, and podcast, I had a, a quote, like a historical account from uh, John Fire Lame Deer was his name. I think he was a Native American. I just I took a note. Let me read it real quick because I figured it would resonate with their yeah, audience. But he said that in the old days, we used to eat the guts of the buffalo, making a contest of it. Two fellows getting a hold of a long piece of intestine from opposite ends started chewing toward the middle, seeing who can get there first. That's eating. Those buffalo guts full of half-fermented, half-digested grass and herbs, you didn't need any pills and vitamins when you swallowed those. So not saying you got to be that extreme with your hunting buddies. But, uh, you know, kind of cool to see. And if you look, I mean, there's so many historical accounts of cultural, different cultures, tribes utilizing the organ meats, and they still do. I've done several podcasts with nutritionists who've gone like to Africa, study different tribes, and organs are always on the menu for them. It's it, If you look at traditional diets around the world, they're always there. And that's because of that nutrient richness that they have. And I don't know how it, you know, how we lost it in our society. I actually did read a, a thing on Reddit, uh, in the historical Reddit thing, where it used to be a big thing during World War II. Like, they really pushed for organ meats during World War II. Like, the government had campaigns around it and whatnot. 
um, just because they were focused on utilizing as much food as they can, right? But I don't know how, like, from World War II till now, it's like become a, you know, a thing of the past. Just yeah. a strange, an, an odd bit. That's what people call it today, an odd bit. So, yeah. It's crazy, like, you bring that up, and we can say it even for, I mean, yes, as as far as our food goes, but let's even take it, like, for a while, it was, like, pharmaceuticals. Like, there used to be Tylenol, ibuprofen, and then penicillin. And then from that, technology has allowed us to create a, a pill for everything, a pill that... Hey, this is going to solve the problem. Hey, this is going to fix that ailment. And pretty soon, heavily relying on that is ev- is going to kill you. And so you got to step away. You got to say like, no, that's not natural. And we're finding that with our food systems even where it became how can we make something delicious? How can we make something that was nutritious? And now we're even finding like, hey, how can we take calories and make them cheap and it's all of a sudden we're seeing this back regression we're seeing this this 180 of we've let technology we've let uh innovation come so far that it's now almost regressed us as people and so to take that time out i talked with uh even with the cookware kyle sipe was talking about how even with cast iron that was made at the height of the industrial age like we're we're working with you know iron 
iron ore and they're in these smelts, but they're creating this like lifelong piece. It's always going to be here. And if you season it, it's going to provide you with, with even heat for generations. But now you go get a Teflon pan and if you use a metal scraper on it, shoot, now you're going to be ingesting that Teflon. That's not going to be good for you. You're going to use up that pan within six months, and you're going to need a brand new one. It's this throwaway aspect versus what we know has, has been true, what we made was to be timeless. And now we're even finding that with with our, our organ meats. Hey, we got to a place in our life we get to enjoy the best. We get to have filet. We get to have ribeye. And we lost this accustomed to really good, nutritious parts of the animal. Like you said, odd bits or the wiggly bits or the, ew, I don't want to talk about the guts. There's more to guts than just intestine. It's it's a whole working piece that we can be able to take from. Right. I mean, even the fat, people don't notice or don't really see the fat as an organ, but that's an organ of the animal. So that's something you can even start with. If you've killed a deer and never utilized the fat, I know some people don't like it, but uh, I I love it for, for cooking. I render it down, and I just talked to a guy on Instagram. He makes body lotion and um, um, soap from his, his deer fat. Yeah, we went. Kind of cool. We did bird suet. That was what we did with ours. We did those last year. The boys had fun doing that. So, um, no, so you use the – you even render down – venison fat or elk fat mm-hmm. and you use that on on your pan your cookware or do you use that as yeah. uh just adding fat into like biscuits or something no i use it to cook with usually it's it's really high saturated fat like stearic acid that's what gives you the that kind of waxy feeling on the top of your mouth that a lot of people don't like but i think it's another like just thing that we kind of lost like a, a texture we lost in our cuisine because you know forever it was said that bad was fat was bad, and everyone switched to uh, the seed oils and whatnot if they were going to use fat. And it just has a very different texture than those animal fats. So I, I like to use it. I think it's great for seasoning your cast iron too. Yeah. yeah. So when you're using that, are you getting? Do you get a really pungent venison flavor from that, or going through the? rendering process does it does it mild out like you're you're tasting a fat at that point and you um with the ceric acid i'm sure you're still getting a little bit of that coating of the mouth but at that point you're you're adding it little bits here little bits there it's not like you're chewing on a big hunk of fat at this point yeah no i think i think it really i do sometimes get that it depends on what the animal is eating but at the end of the day you know i I'm not a picky eater at all, so I still utilize it. I, I've never had it be off-putting where I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, I can't eat this. Um, but I think especially out in the Midwest, a lot of deer that are eating more of the grain and whatnot in the farm fields, those are way better than like an antelope that's eating um, sagebrush and whatnot in terms of smell and flavor of the fat. Yeah, I've but got... I think you just... Oh. Got to man up sometimes. You know? <laughs> Fine, Poldy, writing that down. Man up and use fat on cast iron. Fine. Yeah. All right. Well, I got a I got a late season doe that I'm sure will have my name on it, and she will have a fat cap on her rump that I think is going to be suited oh, yeah. for that trial. So, Poldy, 
know that I've got a fat cap that I'm going to be trying to render down. Give it a try. Let me know how you like it. Good deal. Um, I'm working on getting my boys to, uh, to try things more that are Mm -hmm. a little bit out there. So yeah, when it comes to, uh, comes to even like backgrounds we're talking about with our organs, um, Mm -hmm. Hart usually ends up, well, all of our archery uh, deer go to tacos. We do a big night with my my guys. We all get together, and we do Hart tacos. And that's just really, like, yeah. Like, I mean, I I marinate them a little bit. You clean them up, add a little bit of a marinade at them, and I really kind of try to – cumin works really well with those, and I try to stay off the spice just a little bit. Um, My one buddy is all about jalapenos. So it's like, hey, add the spice onto your taco, but I won't make the the meat super spicy. Um, but we go through, shoot, it'll be five or six hearts as as many guys as get can get get a get a deer, a deer, and uh, not put it right through the heart. We try to utilize that, and though, like, man, I would put that, I would stack that up against a lot of different recipes. Like, I mean, a taco is just an easy vessel. Um, I still want it to taste like venison, so I don't go crazy with the amount of spice or the amount to like either try to hide it or whatnot. But it's just a user-friendly organ being the heart. Liver, though, on the other hand, how are you? How are you serving up liver? I'm sure for yourself, like you said, you weren't a picky eater, so you know, yeah. sear on both sides and send it up. But if if you're trying to introduce somebody to liver, how are how are you going about that? Yeah, I think especially the liver and kidney um, are two that can have a pungent smell. The kidney kind of smell a bit like pee sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think there it's just really important that you know, trim off any membranes and skins and veins and then soak it, both the liver and the kidney. The liver, I usually do like a lemon juice soak or a milk soak for like two to three hours. That'll draw a lot of blood out and milden it a lot. And then for the kidney, I go a little longer. I usually do like two hours in the salt brine and then overnight in milk. And that tends to really milden the flavor a lot. And I've served it to friends that way and they liked it. Um, The other option would be, of course, hiding it. Like you said, you don't really want to do that. But if someone really, you know, wants to eat organs, just can't do it. Um, I think making the liver into a liver sausage is the best it's so freaking good we me and my dad we make a um well me and my stepdad we make a uh, german farmer's liver sausage which has pork belly in it um bay leaves peppercorns you basically start with a broth of that and then later uh boil your liver in there strain it all off and then you take that pork belly cooked with the liver and some spices and blend it all up and that is amazing like if you can, if you can do that it's super super tasty i have it with some fresh sourdough to hope you know you can make it home and whatnot as well otherwise uh putting your liver and kidney and any organ really into your grind like i said earlier there's so many nutrients into organs that you really just need a bit so if you're trying to get it into your diet every day, I I try, even though I love cooking and I love extravagant meals, I try to keep my day-to-day cooking as simple as possible, but also as nutritious as possible. So for me, that's a lot of grind. 
and um, you can you know make start just try making some grind packets where you have a quality fat to bring some flavor you have the meat and then you add in a little bit of organs and you're not going to need a ton of those organs in there so that i think is a good way to to utilize them and um i have never done it personally but i know people who just do it raw they will freeze the liver you can cut off a piece um you literally just take the liver out of the freezer shave off a piece and swallow it like a pill i've never done it but i know people do it so that's another <laughs> thing you can try I, I want to try it. Yeah, I enjoy flavor and the experience of eating too much. I mean, shoot, you can tell already I got a gut going on here. I like eating too much to just be like, I'm not going to take this organ as a pill. Like, let's make something good. But know yeah. that uh, I do a boudin ball, um, which is a, a Cajun style or like a, um, yeah, like a Cajun style sausage where I actually will, will make it up. You use... Um, uh, poblanos in there and bell peppers onion um there's a rice in there as well and so you grind up or you actually you boil up um uh meat and then also organ as well for the for the liver but then that all gets ground and then mixed together and you ladle on the broth to give it this stickiness tackiness mm. and when you're first making it it is it's one of those like this is definitely a, a poor man's food. This is one where you are using um, every scrap inch. And we're trying to, you know, even with the rice that you, you're pouring in here, like we're trying to find a vessel that we can get more calories into these things. But I roll them into a little ball, and then I hit them with some panko, and then I give them a quick deep fry. And it's, I tell you what, if, it, if it's, a party, it's a party platter, but, man, I come home with an empty platter every time because people just put these down. And it's, it's a mixture, I think, not only of the, the pungent, pungentness of the, uh, the liver, but at the same time, like, adding a little bit of that poblano chili in there and the, the bell pepper, the sweetness in there, it works off one another. And it actually turns something that you normally people would turn their nose up, and it makes it something that, oh, I can... I can enjoy this. There's been times yeah. where I've gone to the party and, and declared like there is liver in this and it still has gone over very well. And then I've also gone to parties where it's just like, just serve it and just see what happens. And yeah, yeah. it's also done very well at both of those. Not that I would ever try to like force people to have something that they don't want to have, but it's like, well, I'll just, I just won't say, I won't make it a big, depending thing. on who it is. Right. Exactly. Depending on who it is. You got to, you know, when they talk about, yeah, that boudin's really good. Like, hey, cool. We'll leave it right there. We won't we won't expound upon it. <laughs> yeah. So in that way, you're also hiding it a bit, right? And I think I think that's totally fine with the organs. For me, the, the main thing is just, you know, yeah, I want to enjoy the flavor too, but I want to get those nutrients in. And uh, a curry, like putting kidney into curry is a great way to utilize them, I think. And at the end of the day, it's just, flavor preference and i think whoever's listening is gonna just have to try some recipes out and see which one you like the most but there's definitely ways to turn the organs into something delicious especially if you soak the soak them beforehand and make them a bit more milder in flavor yeah there yeah. and you said it it does a good job at milding out the flavor when you're using the milk i've heard a couple things um one that like somehow the lactic acid works with the uric acid of of the uh, or at least do, not works with but like 
combats the uric acid of the kidney. I've also kind of heard the same thing where um, the lactic acid does a better job of drawing out blood than, say, a salt brine. I've always just gone with a salt brine just because it's, I found it easier to do. I thought the, the milk at least was an overkill. But at least for the kidney aspect, using more of that, I've, I had a set of kidneys I really wanted to work with. Um, I lost them due to a freezer failure, so I didn't mm. get a chance to use those. I was not happy with, with what I had there, so I ended up having to pitch those. Um, but the next set that is going to end up coming into my, my plan, I want to do like a steak and kidney pie. Um, yeah, that's go a good and, way to utilize it too. Yeah, but you're saying go with, with something with that harsh of of a flavor going with the milk is going to be a far better better result yeah with the kidney usually i'll do salt brine first and then milk overnight like a lot longer than the liver liver i usually just do two to three hours into milk and it works out pretty well it draws a lot of the blood out and i like the flavor of liver too though so it's, yeah. it's not something i'm trying to really get rid of uh just that pea flavor sometimes that the kidney has that can be somewhat off-putting, but again, I'm the kind of person who will be like, "Gotta eat it um, for the nutrients." Is yeah. it, going with this, going with that, with that same idea. I had a chance to go shoot um, some hogs in mm-hmm. in Oklahoma. These these same hogs that are a problem over in Germany. Yes, there's still the same problem down in Texas and Oklahoma. Um, got a couple of them, and in fact, I did get to shoot a young boar. Uh, very excited nice. about that. Um, we had we took a bunch of sows, and yeah, we did have a couple boars. But I was able to um, on a we had we had night hunts where it was kind of a push. We were using thermals as well. Uh, very different aspect of hunting that I've ever been a part of. Like oh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, but at that point, hit the the landowner was like, listen, I I want you, you know we want to glean as much off these as we can but he said most importantly i want them dead and gone this is a this is an extermination not just a a, a hunt so we had to kind of grip that as we were you know shooting the amount of ammunition that we were shooting and the the calibers that we were using um but he yeah. being able to take that bore i was very excited because i did take that from a blind uh, i was using a rifle but i was able to put the, put him down very quickly um they talked about boar taint and a a sexually mature male is going to already have this musk this tanginess in in his flesh and you're going to be able to smell that on your hands when you are um you're butchering that and the reason i bring that up is as someone you know you're saying you grew up in in germany but had a chance with this is is a is boar taint that tanginess in the meat is that something that you guys are are looking for? Is that something that's sought after as far as a a pleasing flavor? Because as I'm as I'm getting ready to grill this up, like I smell it a little bit, and I'm like, man, that just kind of it, it it turns my head to the side a little bit. But then after it had got a chance to sear on the on the plate, or excuse me, sear in the pan, and then I was able to serve that up, like there wasn't an ounce of off puttingness to that. There was almost another level of flavor that came with that. I was very surprised with how that reacted. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've definitely smelt it before too, like gutting and whatnot, a a mature boar, but I've 
like you, I've never really had an issue with it once I'm eating it. It's mostly just while you're searing it and while you're cooking it. And it, it is talked about in Germany, but not as much as over here. And uh, I think it might also have to do with what they're eating a bit. But I know a lot of it is just hormones from the rut. Um, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't say that it's like a, a sought after flavor over there. It's just not really that discussed, at least in my hunting circle there. It's not really a big, was never really a big issue. I did, I interviewed uh, Jesse Griffiths, you know, who wrote the Hawk book. Yes. Love and, that guy. Um, that, yeah. And he, he said, you know, it's just a lot of it depends on how you shoot him, how you butcher him. And I mean, in his book, he really goes into into all the ways of doing it and whatnot. But yeah, I, I, I've never had a really negative experience there, to be honest, where I'm like, I can't eat this, you know? Good, good. Well, that was, yeah, that was just an experience I had that I was like, oh, I wonder if, if other, because I think Jesse even talks about, he's like, cultures will even, and it was more, I think more even Eastern, more of where you're at, Eastern European, where it's one of those things like, the older the boar, like again, the more prized the trophy, but at the same time, like that smell either either signified like, oh, let's let's bring this up, or at that point, like people really like enjoyed having that that flavor, that uh, that next level flavor of that. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't really discussed too much in my circles, but I can see, I can see that being a thing. I mean, I. I know a lot of people who love wild game, even though it might have some, you know, more gamier flavors, well, better than beef. Mm-hmm. So I think it just, at the end of the day, kind of comes back to preference and what you can handle yourself. It's if you love corn and soybean, then you can go with the domestic stuff. But yeah, if yeah. you want something more, if you want an adventure on your plate, then yeah, that's where the the wild can come in. I think that's a great way to put it. Last little bit that I really want to go over with you, um, Poldy, is is the idea of broth, adding more and more broth, because we've we've talked about organs. I really wanted to hit organs hard with you tonight, and that is something that you know that our gut that's left in our gut piles or is is saw as secondary, and and I don't want to say that that's necessarily the fault of of all hunters, but. I think there's a, like you said, there's a resurgence. There's a, there's a realizing that we're missing out on something. We've gleaned, we've missed the true gleaning. We've missed the full deep harvest of these animals. And yeah, eating, eating nose to tail, really, you know, eating absolutely the whole animal. If shoot, if, if hunting's going to con- continue to be in the good graces of the public if we're going to still be able to buy tags and and be able to go out and chase these animals, I think we need to also I hope so. Identi- yes, identify like we are putting our money where our mouth is. We are putting the facts that we said like, oh, we want to put this on our table and that's why we do this. Then, well, we better be putting this on our table and we better be showing the world what we are doing because um, ultimately yeah. we're we're a little outnumbered when it comes to that. And you know, it wouldn't take too many. It wouldn't take too many sessions in in Congress to have that all just wiped away. That's the scariest thing to me, man. That's, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. But it it all comes down to education and how it's portrayed to the public, you know. But, um, yeah, meat stock versus broth. Let me get to that in a sec. One more thing I want to say about the organs is that if you're going to get them from wild animals, 
I really would take some time to look at pictures of what healthy organs look like. Um, this was a big part of my German hunting course. Actually, we had a, a veterinarian come out, show us like diseased organs and healthy organs. Cause you really just, you know, you want to eat them from a healthy animal, the meat too. And understanding the difference there can also help you decide if you want to eat the meat at all or not. And, uh, I, d I did a whole podcast episode a long time ago with that on that with a veterinarian from Italy, actually a hunter. And we kind of get into, we show some pictures there and whatnot, but just take some time, look up like diseased liver of deer, healthy liver, get an idea if you have never like seen it, uh, of what that looks like, because I, th I think that's something you definitely want to consider now, now meat stock versus broth. Um, I like to do both a lot, but basically the, the main difference is like the meat stock is cooking your bones and, and even meat for, you know, a few hours, two to three, and then the bone broth can sometimes go 24, 45 hours. Um, there's mixed science out there, I would say, or mixed, uh, thoughts about which one is better. I think both are really great for you, especially if we get, we're, t we're talking about utilizing the whole animal. It's they, you know, the bones, like you said, are left behind, but they have so much nutrition in them. I mean, the bone marrow, that is something that our ancestors ate way back. Mm -hmm. There's archaeological evidence of them cracking open bones, cracking open the, the head to get the brain. There's a ton of fat in it, in the bone marrow and a lot of, a lot of, um, amino acids and whatnot. And often your bones are going to have pieces of meat and gelatin on there and whatnot, you know, like tendons, all that can go into that pot and you cook that, you know, long enough, however much you want, but two to three hours, usually from a recent podcast guest I had on, she's a nutritionist. She was saying that some recent studies have shown that the two to three hour mark, so it's still meat stock. At that point, there's a lot of glycine and proline, which are amino acids that get released. And those are really good for gut health and, and building a healthy gut lining and whatnot. So if you have issues with your gut, that might be something to try. The bone broth is used for that too. But, you know, with the longer cooking time, um, you might also destroy some nutrients, but some other ones might be extracted more so than a meat stock. Um, one thing to, to kind of look at there's some people have a histamine intolerance and histamines basically get built up in food. The, the more you reheat it, the more you cook it. So some people can't do with deal with a bone broth at all. It, it messes them up. Um, so that's something that's to be very aware interesting. of. But, yeah. Yeah. But it's super, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's such a, a great way to utilize a part of the animal that's usually just ignored. Um, we've been making just, um, lately, my girlfriend's been making a lot of stews. I had some elk roadkill actually from last year, and that's it's great to use that for for stew and whatnot. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pumping my fist here on the foot because that's I, as much as a uh, as a meat hunter I am, I am also a uh, a salvage hunter as well. We we live here hey. in rural Michigan, and I t I really take pride when I get a chance to pull the truck off to the side. And, you know, either salvage a hindquarter, take out the back straps, uh, having a podcast that revolves all around eating wild game. Like there's a lot of experimentation that has to happen. And so that's where 
uh, we do that. So anyway, continue on. Just know that yeah, yeah you have a salvage, you have a a, a a fellow salvage hunter here in Michigan with you. Good, good. No, it's it's a it's. I definitely recommend it to people. Just you know, take some precautions. But yeah, just using those bones and not even going out and saying, "Hey, I'm gonna make a bone broth now." Just throwing some of those into your stew, into your curry. You know, you often people go out and they buy a broth or a stock or a starter pack. Well, just put some water in the pot, add those bones and cook those for two to three hours before you add that stew. And you already, you got the best of both worlds. You're saving money, you're utilizing the bones that you would throw out usually. You don't have to buy a broth and you're going to just have so much more flavor in that um, in that stew later. I, I haven't done it with curry yet, but we're going to do it with a curry too, you know, to start out with those bones and, um, you could also, if you don't want to make like a, a meat stock or bone broth at all, you could also just cut them, you know, in a way um, so that they're they're not a whole bone. They're just cut in half or whatnot. Kind of how you see like the, the bone marrow bones that you buy at the butcher yeah. and just literally fry them up in the, not fry them up, but bake them in the oven. And, you know, take that bone marrow out and spread that on some sourdough and it's freaking delicious. So it's another way of just, getting a lot of food from the animal that's usually not utilized and again nutrients a lot of fat in there um and the bone marrow i love it it's just super tasty yeah i want to do like yeah we've we've called it a couple times like uh nature's butter because yeah, yeah. when you can when you can cut the it, making like what, what do they call those the the canoes where they can cut the bone on the Lengthwise. length of it yeah and then lay those out. Um, I'm thinking the the femurs of this buck. Um, I'll try to probably save those and see if we can't make. They probably won't be like beef canoes. They might be more venison kayaks. But anyway, we can still glean a little stuff out venison of those kayaks. things. <laughs> I like that. But we'll we'll pull yeah, those or, out. Yeah, or just. I mean, if this is your your bone, you know, you can also just cut them that way. You don't need to do it a long way. Yeah. Um, whatever you can do to to get to access that bone marrow and uh it's 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 underutilized for sure i think um back to our our stock thing i am i've been toying with the idea and i've practiced it a few times and it's the the idea of creating a broth that is going to be a meal supplement and i know we were talking that's kind of where i wanted to lead this on to is personally um rather than packing something that's you know a bag of chips like you know what that's not going to do anything for me and i i do enjoy a good sandwich uh at lunchtime um to kind of get me through the day but there's being an educator um there's times where i don't get much of a lunch it's uh it's the kids are coming back they gotta be they gotta be in your in class ready to go so rather than having something that i that i need to take time and eat um have something that I can sip on, you know, through an hour and a half of the day. And that's where I was really thinking of, right. Instead of another cup of coffee, you know, putting more caffeine in me, I do enjoy that in the morning. I do find myself as a coffee connoisseur, but after that, it's like, I don't, I don't need the caffeine boost. I just need some sustenance and having, having something that I can just sip on throughout the day. Yeah. Kind of like a, basically a soup with all that, without the filling, that's essentially where I wanted to go with. Um, has that and been I think something that's you've great... toyed with as far as making that a meal supplement going with uh, 
going with the broth? Definitely. I mean, I, I used to, in the mornings, instead of coffee, I used to make broth and just crack an egg in it. That's super tasty. And, uh, you know, you will get an energy boost. I do at least. And that is, there's a, again, the nutrients in there. Some of them have like energizing properties. It might not be like the caffeine rush you get from coffee, but you're still like going to get some sustained energy. Whereas like a chip or a, a carby bread, you know, or some ultra processed like Twinkie or whatnot, those spike your blood sugar. They're going to mess with your blood sugar levels throughout the day and just with your hunger hormones, they're going to keep you wanting to eat again in like two hours. Something like a stock or bone broth, it's got a lot of fat and protein or meat protein to form of amino acids and whatnot. That's what satiates you. So that's what's going to keep you full a lot longer. And I think it's a great replacement um, for chips, for example. And it's a lot easier. I I have toyed with the idea of just bringing bone broth packets out in the back country back country um i i don't know how i would make that myself uh, i'd probably need some sort of expensive equipment but <laughs> i mean the companies are doing it somehow so i could probably start making my um my own bone broth packages somehow in the future but yeah that's that's another thing to do like on your hunts you know bring some some of that and you can you can drink it cold too depending on like what kind of bone broth you make sometimes if you use like deer bones or bones from an animal that's had a very like grass-fed heavy diet it gets very gelatinous and then it's more like a, a, a jello you know, a jello <laughs> yeah jello but hey i i mean it's still got that flavor you could scoop it out of there yeah cold if you have to time to warm it up it's definitely better warm Gotcha. That's where I was going for filling up my Stanley, you know, my, uh, it'll hold all that heat in for lunch. And I think that'll be, you know, and then I I like it because I can just take the top off. That's the cup. And then I can just fill that up as I go along. Yeah. And you like I said, you can add stuff like, uh, egg yolk eggs. I've been doing a lot of raw egg yolks and stuff, just cracking one in, you know, I try to get them from like a good farm or like quality eggs, but there's there's other other things I bet you could get creative with with the bone broth there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was in, I've got some dried mushrooms yet that need to get used up. Um and I'm thinking yeah. that might be that might be an added bit as I'm heating it up throughout the uh first part of the day, dropping some of those in, just let those percolate, soak around in there and then that might be a little treat that I take off the top Definitely. when we open her up. Well, man, I'm. I feel like I've only got through half of my list here, but Poldy, <laughs> this has been a great way. We have totally expounded upon a couple aspects of the hunt that totally go underused, both in uh, the organs, recognizing that fat itself is an organ, and we can utilize that. You know, it doesn't have to be cubed fat that we're putting into our sausages, um, but it can be literally fat that we're using to grease our our cast iron. And at the same mm-hmm. time, we're talking about using the bones for the marrow purpose that it's so nutrient dense. We could use it as is roasted or even getting it into the into our stocks and stews in de- several different ways. So, Poldy, I appreciate, man, just your uh, your experience into this discussion. I think this is really going to give folks something to something to chew on. I guess that's the best way I can put yeah, it. I like that. Yeah, man, it's been great. I mean, I wish, you know, I had 
some more recipes and whatnot for you. But I, for me, it's just always, uh, like I said, I'm not a picky eater. And I, uh, I think everyone just kind of needs to experiment for themselves, see what works, but give it a try. Don't just say you can't eat it because it's the guts and the guts are gross. And that's what you've heard your entire life. Like, give it a try, see how you can explore it and know that it's for sure going to nourish you to a level that most other foods you'll get won't, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Poldy, this is probably not going to be your last time here on the podcast, but I think you should help our my listeners out. Where can we join in with with your discussions? Where can we find your blog? Um, where can we continue the conversation with Poldy? Where where can we find you? Yeah, I appreciate it. So I run the Year of Plenty podcast. Like you said at the beginning, that's my main thing that I do. Uh, it's all about getting people closer to their food source and learn the skills so that every year can be a year of plenty. That's kind of my mantra. Um, you know, wild foods, homesteading, nutrition, ancestral, traditional foods. I'm trying to kind of combine it all in one thing and uh, hopefully educate people around the food aspect of all these things and get them to uh, think about your food choices and, and what they're putting in their body and the long-term effects of that and whatnot. So the Year of Plenty podcast, that's on all podcast platforms. Um, and I'm really trying to ramp up my blog. So that's at www.theyearofplenty.com. I've gotten a few blogs out now, and I'm writing a few others right now. Otherwise, on Instagram, at Poldy Wheeland. Uh, that's where I'll be posting a lot of complimentary content, a lot of reels and videos, um, some little vloggy type stuff so yeah i really appreciate uh you having me on man i'd love to come back and i'd, I'd love to have you on my podcast as well we can chat about a bunch of things all things hunting so absolutely hey when you get someone that jives with you yeah you want that conversation to keep going well That's hold on right. poldy i'm gonna let my listeners on out folks uh so yeah folks I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Um, it has really stemmed around, I think, topics that we've discussed before. But I think Poldy really brings in a new highlight on, on why we're doing this. Continuing age and innovation is pushing us further and further away from things that we've known to be absolutely essential for our life. And as we find ourselves wanting to really make ourselves healthier, to make ourselves more in tune with the natural world, that we need to be looking at stuff that we're skipping over like the fat like the organs and continuing to use the bones um in creating our stocks for our stews so folks if you found this interesting yeah head on over and and check out poldy's uh blog and his podcast because yes as hunters we do have a mission not only for for all the prying eyes that are wanting to know what we do as a lifestyle but we owe it to ourselves and our families to make it a year of plenty every single year and whether it's you trying to crack open one of those bones to get at the marrow or you're just cutting out a steak to enjoy with a quick sear on both sides make sure that the knife you're using is very sharp and i'm going to press 